My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. the labor court system also works is that it individualizes people's issues and struggles and in many ways invisibilizes the exploitation. Protest visibilizes and brings to the fore the exploitation that's actually taking place and imposes a cost, imposes a consequence on employers who otherwise have no fear of labor courts. That's the voice of Simran Kaur Dunna. She and Bikram Singh are today's guests on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. Dunna and Singh are part of the Naujawan Support Network, a group of international students and immigrant workers, primarily based in Brampton, Ontario, that are challenging the exploitation and mistreatment that their members face from employers, landlords, immigration consultants, and the Canadian state using protest, mutual support, and collective direct action. Brampton is a city of around 650,000 people located in Peel Region, part of the suburbs within the Greater Toronto Area, or GTA, in southern Ontario. More than three-quarters of the population is racialized, and many residents are also immigrants, and there is a particularly large Punjabi population. Along with substantial hospitality and construction sectors, Brampton is a central logistics hub for southern Ontario, and it is home to many truck yards, warehouses, distribution centers, and so on. It is, sadly, nothing new for international students and recent immigrants working in these sectors to be facing a wide range of oppressive circumstances. But there were two developments in 2021 that inspired Punjabi youth to get together and form the Naujawan Support Network. One was the massive uprising by farmers from Punjab, Haryana, and other states in India against the oppressive farm laws that Narendra Modi's BJP government was attempting to impose. That was, according to Dana, quote, a very politicizing force, end quote, in the community. The other was a shocking number of instances of young workers in the community dying by suicide. At a community meeting to discuss that issue, it emerged that mistreatment at work, and particularly wage theft, were major root causes of the hopelessness some youth were feeling. So they formed the network, Dunna said, to, quote, confront the people who exploit us directly, end quote. Since its formation, wage theft has indeed been one of the most common problems that the Naujawan Support Network has dealt with. While it is something that happens to low-wage workers in lots of different contexts, Canada's immigration system makes international students and other recent immigrants particularly vulnerable to this kind of exploitation. As well, workers in the network have faced other forms of mistreatment and abuse, even outright violence, including sexual violence, from employers. While the network will support workers in filing legal complaints at the Labour Board, it is that direct confrontation that comprises the bulk of their work. They've found that official legal processes favor the employer, are often ineffective at recovering owed wages, do little or nothing to impose consequences on employers who steal wages, and are ultimately disempowering to workers because they individualize and hide the problem. When a worker approaches the network with an instance of wage theft, the first thing they do is talk with that worker about their situation and about the network. They make it clear that the network is not an NGO or a service provider, but a way for workers to take action together. 
workers are expected to take a lead role in their own struggle and to participate in the struggles of others. They go over the details of the case, including all of the documentation that the worker has. Then, they put together a letter that they deliver to the employer, demanding that the back wages be paid. If, after multiple chances, the employer still refuses to pay, they publish the details of the case on social media and hold a small protest at the worksite. If the employer still refuses, they continue to escalate their actions in terms of size and target, including protesting at the employer's home and shaming them in front of their neighbors. In response, employers have done things like threatened workers with deportation or even violence, called the cops, mobilized other community members against them, and filed defamation suits. Uh, and you can donate to the Naujawan Support Network's Legal Defense Fund on GoFundMe. But even in the face of employer opposition, by working together and engaging in collective protest and direct action, the network has won a lot of victories. These days, sometimes just the network's name is enough to get employers to pay up. They estimate that they have recovered more than $200,000 in wages for workers over the last year. And Dunna said she has seen a, quote, palpable increase in confidence among workers, end quote, because of their organizing. I speak with Dunna and Singh about the Naujawan Support Network. My name is Bikram Singh, and now I am a worker. But in 2019, I came here as a student. Now I'm working in NSL as a team member from last one year, and I'm living in Toronto. My name is Simran. I am currently a student, but I've been raised in Canada, so I'm not an international student. And I am a member of Najawan Support Network. Najawan Support Network is a group of international students and immigrant workers primarily based in Brampton, Ontario. And we began this organization just over a year ago to put an end to the exploitation and mistreatment that our members face from employers, landlords, immigration consultants, and the government. And we do so by taking collective direct action and supporting one another and learning about our rights. We'll talk more about the group as a whole in a minute, but tell me a little bit more about your individual paths to involvement in the network. How I know somebody informed me about this organization on our social media. Then I seen some videos because when I was in India, I was working in an organization named Punjab Student Union for the students. That's why I was interested in this kind of social activities. So I contacted with them. I was also a student on that time. So I know the situation of students on that time, how like life is difficult for the students. I also know about the base, base theft issue on that time. So that's why I joined this organization. I was already involved with some labor organizing about three to four years ago, and later on climate organizing as well and indigenous solidarity work. But I was interested in building worker power in the suburbs, specifically in the Peel region, and specifically where members of my community, the Sikh Punjab community, comprise a large segment of the workforce in Brampton, which is a major logistics hub. Go into a little bit more detail about Brampton and what it's like. Brampton is known to be a city full of immigrants and that really runs through immigrant labor and migrant labor. And a large segment of the population in Brampton is the Punjabi community, the Indian community, and the Black community, as well as others. So it's a very racialized and immigrant workforce, but also it's rapidly expanding industrially. There's a lot of truck yards and warehousing and logistics centers, distribution centers, the hospitality industry is very active there. 
So it's an area of the GTA that has always been working and has really, I would say, like many of the suburbs, has held up the GTA in southern Ontario throughout the pandemic and well before that. And increasingly, people understand that the city is reliant on international students to function. And so that's why it's so important that we've been organizing in Brampton and specifically we've come together as an organization of international students and primarily recent immigrants because those are workers who are typically non-unionized, left out of the labor movement, and who also work in logistics, construction, and the restaurant or hospitality industry. What kinds of exploitation and mistreatment are international students and recent immigrant workers facing in Brampton? Any international student, we are paying very high tuition fees than the domestic students. Our fees is 16000 For the same course, domestic students, they are paying two, three, or 4000 For that reason, we have to do work. But there is a limitation on every international student. We cannot work more than 20 hours in a week. But we cannot survive if we work only for 20 hours. So for every international student, it's necessary to do extra hour work. So mostly employers, they know about this situation. So they always pay less pay than the minimum wage. For the first 20 hours, they pay 15 or 16, whatever is the minimum wage. But after that, they pay less. Like sometimes we have seen on so many restaurants or in other shops, they pay sometimes $5, $8 or $10. Sometimes they give their commitment to students, okay, we will give you $10 or $8. But after one or two months, they say to students, oh no, they totally deny it. They said, okay, we don't need, you are not doing good work, okay, you can stay at home. Because they know they have so many other students, because uh, as Simran told you, there are so many other students, like this city is full with the immigrants. So every immigrant is like cheap labor, especially students. So that's why every student faces this issue of wage theft. And for after when they complete their study, so many students, they want to stay here permanently. So for that reason, for their immigration purpose, they have to... So many employers, sometimes they give LMI or PNP. So for their immigration status, students uh, work for that employer on less wage, you can say. Every student has a different story, you can say. A lot of that happens because of immigration status, like Vikram said. And what that looks like on the shop floor, on the ground, is deportation threats against students. They're told that they're working illegally on cash. They can't take any action for their rights. and Oftentimes, it also results in abuse and mistreatment and sometimes outright violence from employers, including sexual violence. So it's all refracted through one's immigration status. And specifically with the 20-hour policy, there are government policies like that and the immigration scheme as a whole that treats students' lives as lottery systems. And employers know that they're at their mercy. They need the employer's letter of support for their PR application. Uh, and PR is permanent residency. They can't work over 20 hours, or students might just land and not know that they're allowed to be paid on cash or that they have a right to overtime and vacation pay. So for all those reasons, workers are given below the minimum wage or sometimes are outright not given the wages that they're owed entirely. How did people first start coming together to form the network? We started over a year ago at a time when farmers from Punjab, Haryana, and other states in India were occupying the borders of Delhi as part of the farmers' protest against Modi's three fascist farm lives. And that was a year of struggle that they ended up winning. 
And at the same time, that was a very politicizing force for children of farmers who had migrated here from Punjab and Haryana. And at the same time, we had noticed that there was an increase in suicide by international students and recent immigrants. There would be GoFundMe that would circulate every week or two to raise funds to send the corpses of young workers back home. We found that to be very disturbing. And so we had a community event where we had a discussion about why that's happening, what are the root causes, the main one being exploitation. Because if you're not paid your wages, you can't pay your rent, you can't pay your tuition. It's difficult to face parents who have taken out loans and gone into debt to send you here. So we then started Nodwan Support Network to confront the people who exploit us directly. What was the process of turning that initial community conversation into an organization? One of our team members named Gagan, he's a truck driver. On that time, he was working with the company. I don't know the company name, but his owner name was like a Mutas. And he didn't pay him his pay for near about three or four thousand. I think that was our first case. When our team decided to take action against him, we did protest in front of his house. So after that, instead of paying to Gagan, he hired a lawyer. But after that, our team decided we will not step back. Then we did another two, three protests in front of his house. So after that protest, we post that video on our social media account. After that, we don't know the exact number, but so many people from all over the GTA, they start sending us messages like we have same issues, we have same issue. So after that, we are continuously doing protest. That first protest, 20 people showed up in the pouring rain on a random day in the summer in June of 2021. And most of those 20 people were people who had their own cases of wage theft and they spoke about their experiences on the mic. And then the videos from that protest went viral, reaching even people in Australia, in the UK, in America, which spoke to how prevalent the issue of wage theft is and how lacking there was a response, a collective response to that type of exploitation prior to NSN, at least in Granton. When someone comes to you and says, hey, my employer is stealing my wages, what do you do? First of all, we have one form. We send that form to that person. Then he gives all the information about his case, about his proof of his work, how long time he worked with that. We ask for all the proofs from that person. After reviewing that proof, so many times we filed case in the labor court. But after that, when that person is agree to do protest, then our team together we do protest in front of that employer. After reviewing all the proofs, when we like 100% sure he didn't pay all his money, first we also send the email or one letter to the employer. Always we try to call him or we try to contact that employer because we always want to listen both sides. Mostly employer, they don't give us answer. They always ignore us. But some employer, before any protest or before any other action, sometimes they're ready to negotiate with us on the table. So if someone is ready, we don't do protest in front of that employer. But when any employer, he ignores us, uh, then after that, we take action against that employer. The reason that we send letters in part is also so that in the case of defamation lawsuits or any kind of retaliation, we are justified in protesting. And we can say, look, we reached out to you and gave you two or three chances to pay up and you didn't. And that's why protest is the last resort. The other part I'll add is that there are workers who contact us and ask us that we win back their wages for them. 
as you can imagine, given how many people have started to follow us on Instagram, on social media, we get many such cases. We try to have phone calls with people about their case to explain our process and to share any information about their rights. But for everyone who desires to campaign or publicly protest, we want them to come to our meetings in person and explain their case and be committed to lead their own campaign to fight for their rights. And we will stand shoulder to shoulder with them. So we let people know that this isn't an NGO, this isn't a charity. We do struggle. And that means that people have to be willing to sacrifice some of their time and their energy to not only organize for their own rights, but also to stand shoulder to shoulder with other workers who are in the same position. And why do you focus on protest and direct action to win back owed wages? Because legal process always work for rich people. They are in the favor of an employer. We start working almost from one year. Why we choose to do protest in front of employer? Why we don't go like a legal way? So many workers, they contact with us. They had a paid order. After they were already won their case in court. But even that, their employer, they were not ready to pay them. Sometimes they file a bankruptcy and they say, no, we don't have any money. So after that, we don't have any other way. So we choose this process. We choose to expose that wage thief in the society. In addition to that, we know that the labor courts are not sufficient in deterring exploitation and in challenging the power imbalance that exists between a worker and an employer. So, for example, there are laws that can allow the Ministry of Labor to heavily fine or prosecute employers that violate employment standards. And oftentimes, the Ministry of Labor uses their discretion and decides not to do so. So there really isn't any deterrent factor that would signal to an employer, you violated someone's rights, don't do it again. And then the other thing is that even when there is an order to pay, even if the employer ends up paying after a year, they're only paying what the worker was owed in the first place. There's no additional penalty. There's no additional cost to the employer. So there's really nothing stopping them from doing this again. And the other reason is that we have sometimes members who've had stolen wages from the same company, four, five, six drivers from one truck company. And sometimes they'll ask us, can we file a labor claim together? And we have no choice but to say no, because the way that the labor court system also works is that it individualizes people's issues and struggles and in many ways invisibilizes the exploitation in the sense that one can go through the labor court, the community and other workers will have no awareness of the exploitation that's happened. It's not really brought to the public's eye. And so one of the things that protest and organization does is it visibilizes and brings to the fore the exploitation that's actually taking place and imposes a cost, imposes a consequence on employers who otherwise have no fear of labor courts. What are some of the ways that employers have responded to your approach? The very first thing they do, they always file a defamation case against us. Sometimes they call their employees to to deportation threats. Most of the time they choose to go through the legal way. I remember we did one protest in Cambridge in front of a restaurant. There are so many employers reached there together and they start doing protest against us. And they were saying to our team members, don't do protest, go to the labor court. In addition to the defamation lawsuits, we've also seen 
outright threats be made to workers who've spoken out. And of course, what we saw at Silk Auto is that sometimes that can result in violence. And that's not just in that protest, but also in protests done by other workers, you know, physical violence, verbal violence, mobilizing other workers or other employers. So like Vikram said, the rally that we did in Cambridge was disrupted near the end by a radio personality who had mobilized other truck company owners, some of whom we had began to organize with their former drivers. There's a lot of employer side propaganda that has happened on the radio shows. They've tried to retaliate physically. They definitely do call the police as well. And tell me more about the defamation lawsuits that some employers have filed. One of the aims of employers when they file defamation lawsuits is not only to scare that particular worker or workers who have begun to campaign against the employer, but also to silence and intimidate any other worker that might speak out, whether that's their former workers or other workers who would organize against their employers. Because if you're new to the country, you're an international student, and you're relying on your wage for income, you're probably going to feel like you don't have the funds to pay a lawyer thousands of dollars to defend yourself. And when you get a defamation lawsuit slapped on you, then you do have to defend yourself. And in fact, we've had members who've, for example, given a bad Google review against their employer and have been on the receiving end of a defamation lawsuit for something as simple as that. One of the reasons that we place an emphasis on reviewing the proofs and the evidence that workers have about their stolen wages is as protection against defamation lawsuits. Because in defamation law, if what we're saying is the truth, and particularly if we have evidence for it and strong testimony, then we really have nothing to fear. Sure, it will take time in the courts. Sure, it will cost money, money that we've been able to fundraise or you know, some firms and some community organizations have been able to represent us pro bono. But it's not something that scares us and let workers know as well that you shouldn't be afraid of legal repercussions or retaliation if you're on the side of the truth. That's one of the main points that we make to our membership and that a message that we give to employers as well, that they can take us through the courts, but it's not something that will deter us from building our power and continuing to organize. How has the broader community in Brampton responded to your tactics and to the issues that you're raising? Mostly, you can see our social media page also and in our protest also. Community and other workers, they are in our favor. Some people who are in the favor of employers, but mostly people and our community, they are in the favor of us. Yeah, we've had overwhelming support from international students and immigrants who are new to the country. There's always the odd person in the comment section, you know, or online, people sitting at home in the comfort of their homes who have their own deeply held biases against immigrants. But overwhelmingly, the people who've experienced wage theft and other forms of exploitation know that there's a clear line that's been drawn. So the support has been very positive. There have been some radio personalities or radio shows in the community who most likely get funds or run the ads of employers who've been saying the wrong things about us or spreading their own propaganda. But for the most part in the media, too, it's been really positive. We have had workers reach out to us from other cities across the country, as well as in other countries, ask us about what they can do to start something similar. We're interested in supporting self-organizing and supporting workers who might want to start a similar organization wherever they are. 
as well as in other communities as well. The Sukh auto protest that we did on Saturday was attended by members of other organizations, including Justicia for Migrant Workers, Injured Workers, Action for Justice, as well as Palestinian organizers and people who want to do something similar in the Arab community. Give listeners a sense of what workers have been able to win through the network. So in the last year, we have recovered over $200,000 that we know of in wages. And that's been done either directly through our campaigns or indirectly, which means that someone may use the word NSN or say Nadu on Sport Network to their employer or send them a video and they'll get the wages that they're owed. And we know that there's probably lots more people who have recovered their wages and maybe haven't told us. So that's one concrete outcome of the pressure that's been built through these campaigns and through public protest. The other thing that we have noticed is that there has been a palpable increase in confidence among workers, especially international students, who now know a little bit more about their rights, such as the fact that they can actually file a labor claim or protest even if they've worked on cash. So it's definitely been really important in shifting power so that workers know, especially people who are new to the country, that they aren't an underclass, that they aren't second-class citizens, that they have equal rights, and most importantly, that within them they have the ability and the capacity to organize and win. What can people do to act in solidarity with the work that the Naujawan Support Network is doing? Whenever they see our post on our page uh, about any protest, Come and join us. We will feel happy and energetic if other communities will join our protest and stand and fight for their right. Yes. Whenever there's a protest poster that's out, please share it. Please try to attend. It really matters when members outside of our community join so that employers know that this isn't just their own so-called community that's shaming them, that this is actually a shared issue among workers of all backgrounds, of all races. The other thing that people can do to support is to donate to our legal defense fund. The defamation lawsuit that Sook Auto brought forward, Sook D. Clinton, is the force that we're facing. And we anticipate that employers will try to retaliate in lots of other ways as our movement grows. And so we really don't want legal representation to be a barrier for workers who are fighting for their rights. And then the last thing is, like Bikram said, wherever you are, organize for your rights and build connections and build solidarity with organizations like ours as well. The additional thing that I would add is that there are people in activist spaces or on the left who may think that there's no point in just protesting against an employer one by one. Who may think it doesn't really make sense, that it's not systemic. And to those people, I think we would say that there is a lot of power that is built through collectively confronting our exploiters. And there's been a tendency in recent times to rely on legal reform or advocacy and to do so in a way that doesn't actually allow workers to talk to one another and lead the organizing. So it's really important that whether we're in a union or whether we're in an organization, that we organize to confront the people directly who exploit us and to understand why we have those shared conditions, how we want to transform them, and to then have collective conversations on transforming our conditions with the aim of building worker power. You have been listening to my interview with Simran Kaur Dana and Bikram Singh of the Naujawan Support Network. To learn more about it, search for Naujawan Support Network on Twitter or GoFundMe. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. <laughs> <laughs>